Philippians. We're going to be in the book of Philippians together. If you're new with us, this is typically what we do. We choose a book of the Bible. We walk through it verse by verse or section by section, learning what we can from God's word and learning how to apply it to our lives. We have three convictions here in this ministry. Three things that we want for you. We want to glorify God by making disciples that are centered on Christ, disciples that are committed to discipleship, and disciples that are confident in the word of God. That's why our podcast is called that. Centered, committed, and confident. And our time in Philippians is going to help us do just that. It's going to encourage and convict us to have Christ at the center of all that we do. And I pray that you are convicted to have Christ be the center of your life, especially as we read it together. We want him to be the center. In fact, that's, that's why that subtitle is right there, right? To live is Christ. My life is bound in glorifying Christ. The series is going to convict us to be further committed to discipleship. We're going to be talking about that tonight, being further committed to discipleship, not only our own discipleship, but the discipleship of those around us. And definitely, my prayer is that as we go through this series, you will be more confident in the word of God. That the quotes that you hear from Philippians, right, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To live is Christ and to die is gain. My prayer is that as you hear these passages that might sound familiar to you, that you will walk away with new understanding, that you will walk away with new convictions in it, that you will walk away with a confidence in the word of God that's more than just a platitude that you hang on the wall of your living room because you're a Christian, but it's deep and it's rooted in you and changes your life. That's my prayer for you tonight as we dive into it. So let's get into the book of Philippians. Go ahead and turn there with me. Turn to the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And tonight, the message is simply titled, The Context. The Context. That's what we're going over. We're going over the context of Philippians so you can understand who it's written to, who wrote it, why it was written. How many of you ever heard the term, context is king, context is key? Got a lot of you sort of nodding, raising your hands. Yeah, most of you have heard it. And it's not just because it's a catchy phrase. It's not just because it's something that's good to keep in mind. It's because it's a crucial concept to keep in mind as you read all of Scripture. Like when you read any passage of the Bible, especially like if you're starting in the middle of a chapter, if you're starting in the middle of a book, even if you come a few Thursdays from now and you missed a few messages in between, understanding the context of where we've been and where we're going is important because it helps us understand the true message that we're supposed to grab. Let me put it in this way. If you guys were driving down to the side, you were driving down the road, and on the side of the road right now, you saw a sign that said 65, what would that tell you? The speed limit, and it's 65 what? Miles per hour. If you were driving down a road in Germany and you saw a sign that said 65, what would it mean? It would mean the speed limit, but what would it be? 65 kilometers per hour. What would tell you that? How did you know that? You knew that because I gave you the context. I gave you the context of what state it was in or what country it was in. And you were able to know based on the context that, oh, we use miles, they use kilometers. Maybe they use miles. I don't know. I just picked a random country, okay? Anybody that wants to correct me, come at me later. But 
That's the whole point, is that you would know through context what that sign meant because you live in a time and place in which you can understand that. That's the importance of context in Scripture, understanding why it's written, who it's written to, so that we can accurately interpret it. So let's look at it tonight together. We're going to read just the first two verses. I'll read along, you follow. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, short passage, but actually there's a lot of context here to be found. And when I say context, I don't just mean historical context. I want to get some of that tonight. I want to talk about the historical context of Philippians. But what I really want for us tonight, too, is to talk about the applicational context of Philippians. I don't want us to just have head knowledge about why Philippians was written or who wrote it. I want to have that head knowledge hit our heart as well and have us actually do something in response to knowing who wrote it. I want us to respond to the context. And here's the first point of context we see tonight. We see that Paul and Timothy, the people that that wrote this, we see that Paul and Timothy were real people. That's our first point. Paul and Timothy were real people. Here's why this matters. It matters to me because I have a tendency. I have a tendency to lose sight of the human quality of things. Like, I have a, I'm, I'm the person that thinks more towards, like, ideas and numbers and theology and doctrine. Like, I'm a big picture kind of guy. That's who I am. And so if I'm not careful, I know my personality. If I'm not careful, I have a tendency to lose focus on the individual. Like, I'm the person that doesn't see the trees but oftentimes sees the forest. And that's where I like to spend my time. And so I have to make sure that I'm allowing the reality to set in that the forest is made of many trees and those trees are impacted by what the entire forest goes through. And so for me, it's important to remember that when people are writing things, especially when we see them in scripture, that they are real people. Because I can forget that Paul and Timothy were historical people. They were people who had parents. They had cousins. They had sisters, children. There were people who had jobs. They lived lives. They weren't just these holier-than-thou saints. They were literally two men that just loved Jesus and wanted to serve him. How did they describe themselves here? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. They just wanted to serve him. These are people who have real testimonies, times in which they didn't know Christ, and then they did know Christ. They are people who struggled with sins. We, we know of some of them as we read through Timothy, as we read through the book of Acts and Galatians and Romans and Philippians and, and all the books that Paul contributed to, like we see he was a man who struggled with certain sins. And we even see that these are people who question the things of God sometimes, who struggled with the things of God. They were living and breathing human beings. They're not just some far away, removed, mythical hero that exists just to write what they have for us to read. 
And I want to take Paul for example. Paul was a man whose life was radically changed and shaped by God. Let me give you a little bit about Paul and who it is that's writing to the Philippians in this letter. So Paul, some of you may know this, Paul was born as Saul. That was his original name. And Saul was born in Tarsus. Now, um, I don't often do this, but tonight I have a map. I'm going to go ahead and pop it up here. And by me, I mean Colin's going to go ahead and pop it up here. But um, here's the reason I like maps. I like maps because they remind me that people are actually born in real places that I could still go to today and realize that they were a living, breathing human being. And Paul was born in Tarsus, which is in the upper right over there. And this is an ancient map, but you can sort of see, like, upper left, there's Rome, right? There's Italy. Jerusalem's down there. If you go just south, you're going to hit Egypt. And, like, Tarsus, where that is, that's Turkey. Paul was born on the southern shores of Turkey. Something that hit me as I was studying, I don't know why this hit me. This seems obvious. At least it should be obvious in scripture, I guess. But it hit me this week that, that Saul was probably right around the same age as Jesus. Like based on his life and where he was born and how long he lived, there's a good chance that Paul was born well within the same decade as Jesus. And certainly close enough in age to be brothers. I don't know why. I always thought Paul is like just some old dude, right? Like the, the gray beard that he's always pictured as. And maybe it's because he lived a lot longer than Jesus did. Maybe it's because he became older and wrote these letters to younger people. I don't know why I find this surprising. But him and Jesus were actually really close in age. They were born pretty close in years. Except instead of being raised in Galilee like Jesus was, Paul was raised as a Pharisee in Jerusalem. Born in Tarsus, raised in Jerusalem. And after Jesus' death, Saul persecuted the church. That's until Jesus radically intervened in his life. If you want to know more about Paul and you want to see that, Acts 9. You can write that down. You can go study it later. Acts 9 is the account of when Paul became Paul. When he crossed from death to life, from Saul to Paul, from a Pharisee persecuting the church to a man of God's sold-out missionary pastor, church planner. Acts 9, you can read it again in Acts 26 if you want. His name was changed to Paul. He became a missionary. He became a church planner, which right here, let's, I told you I want some heart value in this, right? I want you to not only have head knowledge, but I want you to see the way that it can impact your heart. Right here, like, let's take a break and let's understand that Paul, by the time that Jesus called him, was in his 30s. By the time that he became a missionary, by the time that he came to know who Christ was, by the time that his name was changed from Saul to Paul, he was in his 30s. Which tells us that for 30 some years, all the work that he had been doing was completely different than the work that he would be doing. Yes, it overlapped. Yes, Jesus redeemed what Paul had grown up learning and knowing. But why I think that's important for you is because I want you to take heart. I want you to be encouraged. Because Paul's work with the church is undeniable. I mean, he wrote, like, you know, you just go to the New Testament, and, and he wrote almost all of this. A large majority of it written by Paul or influenced by him. His influence is undeniable, and yet that work didn't truly begin until he was in his 30s. 
Almost none of you are that age right now. I want you to take heart that the work the Lord is doing in your life now, the ways that you feel he is calling you, the ways that you feel he is moving you, follow them, be obedient, but acknowledge that the Lord can do so much in your life. Acknowledge that he can take everything that's occurred in your life and change it and shape it and even redeem it to do amazing work. Like the context this is written by Paul should impact our hearts to let us know that this can be done in our lives too. Now, I'm not going to say you're writing scripture by any means, but I'm going to say that God could work immensely in your life. Paul is in his 30s. Guys, take heart. The path you're on right now, the way that you're headed, it's entirely possible and probable that it's just the setup for what God is doing. Because what we see is that, yes, Paul and Timothy were real people, and we learn and understand that God uses real people. That's one of our sub-points. God uses those real people in his work. I mean, like, I know that's how it was in my life. Like, I, I did not graduate college assuming I was going to be a pastor. In fact, when I graduated college, I wasn't even walking with the Lord. I graduated with a double major in music and religious studies. It was my undergraduate. And my plan was to take a year off from school and then go back and go be a dean at a college. I was planning on making six figures. I was planning on just like living the high life, some kind of dean of residence life, eventually vice president, maybe even president someday of a college. I thought that would be my life. And the Lord radically changed me in the matter of two or three months. And I found myself leading worship at, at a church of 40 people because the Lord decided to grip my heart and to call me back to himself. Like I saw the way that he took everything I wanted and everything I learned and everything I thought I was going to do and turned it into something completely different. I had zero intent of being a worship and college pastor at the age of 33 at Coram Deo Bible Church. And I couldn't have even told you where this church was at that time. But the Lord used it. He uses real people just like he did Paul. But let's just, let's not talk about Paul, right? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Paul and Timothy. Let's talk about Timothy here for a little bit. What do we know about Timothy? Here's what we know. Timothy was a third generation Christian, right? He had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. He's going about his life. He's being faithful to God. We see that in the book of Acts. It says that he was a faithful man of God. And we don't know exactly what Timothy was doing. We know that he was young when he met Paul. But we do know that out of nowhere, God radically changed his life. Because Timothy is living in Lystra. It's not too far away from Tarsus, actually. Timothy is living in Lystra. And at some point, Paul comes to Lystra. On his missionary journey, Paul's going from city to city, and he shows up in Lystra. And all of a sudden, Timothy goes from being just a faithful man of God, living in this city with his mother and father, to being a missionary, traveling with the greatest missionary of all time, traveling with one of the most influential worship or, uh, church planners that we have ever seen. He goes from the life he had to the life that God had for him being a missionary. But Timothy's not some historical, mythical, magical figure. Timothy's a real person. He's a young man just striving after God. 
Like, can you imagine? Like, so Timothy, right? Like, there's books written in the Bible to him. He follows Paul for a long time. He eventually becomes the pastor at Ephesus. So, like, when you're reading Ephesians, Timothy's the pastor of that church, right? That's, that's who Timothy becomes. And can you imagine that if you're, if you're viewing all of Timothy's life in, in a timeline like this, there was a night that Timothy went to bed that he didn't know Paul, and there's the next day in which he did. There was a night that he went to bed that he was just someone living in Lystra, and then all of a sudden the next day he was a missionary. There was a moment in which he wasn't traveling the world helping Paul plant churches, and then the next day he was. Have you ever thought about that with big moments in your life? I remember the time Brittany and I met our foster kids for the first time. We eventually adopted them. I remember getting the call that they were going to be there. And, and we thought, okay, when are they going to be there? Uh, turns out it was on a Wednesday. But I do remember going to bed on Tuesday night. And I remember thinking, I remember telling Brittany, what if this is the last time we go to bed as just us two? Like, what if this is the last time that it's just you and me as a family? And the next day, there was five of us. And that hasn't changed and won't change. Those moments are amazing. And they happen in the lives of each and every single one of us. And the only reason I'm emphasizing this is because I want you to see the reality that the people writing the scriptures to us are people, real people, that God used. But it's not just that he, he chose them and used them because of who they were. He did something about them being together. So it's not just that God uses real people. What we learn is that God uses discipleship. God uses discipleship to bring about his will, to bring about his kingdom. Like all that God did through the relationship of Paul and Timothy was because they entered into a friendship built upon discipleship. Timothy was Paul's disciple. But at the same time, like, Paul considered him not only a son in the faith, but Scripture says that Paul considered Timothy a brother. It says that Paul considered Timothy a co-laborer or co-equal of the Lord's work. Like, they viewed themselves not only as discipler, disciplee, but they view themselves as brothers in Christ, discipling one another. God uses discipleship. We see that because he's using this right here, this relationship that he has to influence the church in Philippi. And so as a point of application, right? We're going from head knowledge to heart knowledge. As a point of application, if we know that God uses discipleship, we know that these relationships were built in discipleship, and we're going to see in just a minute how discipleship even founded this church right here. If we know that, then our application should be to desire discipleship. If God uses it, why wouldn't you want it in your life? If it is a means in which God grows people, a means in which he works in their lives, a means in which he works through people to other people's lives, why wouldn't we desire discipleship? Some of you that have grown up in the church, you've grown up that Christian life, you know, you've probably heard um, some kind of encouragement, some kind of message at some point, like, hey, you need to find your Timothy. As, just curious, I saw a few smiles already. 
Any of you ever heard, like, you need to find your Timothy or who's your Paul, right? Make sure you have a Paul and make sure you have a Timothy. I get a few nods going there. Okay, so some of you have grown up in that kind of churchy language. Um, it's a really common saying, actually. Who, who's my Paul? Who's my Timothy? I need to make sure that I always have a Paul pouring into me and I'm always pouring into a Timothy. If you've heard that, I want to say it sounds really nice, but that's not completely true. Paul didn't always have a Paul in his life. Paul didn't always have a Timothy in his life. It says right after he came to Christ that he actually spent three years away from everyone learning. Paul spent some time as just a Timothy, as just being poured into. He didn't always have Timothy around. Sometimes Paul traveled alone. And as we saw, Timothy didn't always have Paul in their life. But what they did have was a willingness and a commitment. What they had was a willingness, a desire, and a commitment to seek to be in that type of relationship, to be prepared for that type of discipleship. Here's what I'm saying is that, like, Timothy had to be in a place in his life that when he met Paul, he had the humility to want to be discipled by this man. He had to be at a place in his life in which when he met Paul, he thought, I need to learn from him. I need to follow him as he's following Christ. I need to put myself under this teaching and I need to learn what I need to learn in order to glorify God. And Paul put himself in a place that when he met men like Timothy, he took them in under his wing, invited them to travel with him, invited them to eat with him, invited them to work with him. And he poured into them time and time again. And he was also willing. As we're going to see, like you turn to the book of Ephesians. I told you uh, Timothy is is the pastor of, of Ephesus, right? Paul continued the relationship. Wrote letters to those he discipled. Stayed in relationship with them. And that starts with a willingness to be a part of it and a commitment to do it. I don't think you should evaluate your life on whether or not you currently have a Timothy you're pointing into or you currently have a Paul that's pointing into you, I think you should evaluate your discipleship based on if you are willing to do those things and if you are seeking to do those things and if it came across, you would actually do it. I think you should evaluate your discipleship on if a Paul came into your life, do you have the humility to ask him or her to disciple you? And do you have the commitment to follow through week in and week out to be there every time that you call. I don't care if it's 5.30 in the morning at a high V that just opened because it's the only coffee shop around and you get together and you sit down in the booth while the lights are off and everyone's around starting to clean and open up and you sit down and talk about the Bible for an hour and a half. Like if that's what it takes in order for your, you to be poured into, do you have that? Are you committed? Do you desire it? Because God uses those things. He uses discipleship. God leveraged the relationship of Paul and Timothy to influence the Philippians. The beautiful thing is you guys are at an amazing age for this. You go ahead and talk to a lot of people older than you. Those that have been walking with the Lord. You can talk to some of our leaders that are my age or older. 
well, probably younger than me too. I'm one of the older ones. But you can talk to a lot of our leaders, and they'll tell you how much they either loved the fact that when they were your age, they had someone pouring into you, and that they were pouring into others, or how much they wish they hadn't wasted their life, and how much they wish they hadn't wasted the opportunity to be poured into. Because you guys are in this amazing age right now in which you can probably sustain both. You can sustain not only finding someone to pour into you, but you can sustain being able to come alongside and pour into other people. And not only are you at this amazing age in which your schedule can often allow it and, and your life and your energy levels allow it, you're also in a ministry that gives you opportunities to do just that. You are in a ministry that wants you to be able to do that. You have a ministry here that has leaders that would love to meet with you. They would love to answer any questions you might have. That we have C groups in which you can come to our C group. You can have a leader that is pouring into you and also those around you that you are pouring into. Like you have an opportunity to have both in your life and sustain them. And that's not always true of our lives and the, and the stages of it. I just ask anyone that's had kids. Ask any mother that has a child under 18 months in their household and ask them how easy it is to have a Paul in their life and also a Timothy. It's not. Take advantage of the opportunity you have right now with where you are and the age of life that you're in and leverage discipleship in your life. I want to encourage you, be committed to it. Be willing to do it. Seek it. Seek those opportunities and take it seriously. Always be a Timothy, willing to learn, willing to be discipled, and always be looking for a Paul, someone that you can humbly submit yourself under and ask for wisdom and guidance and teaching. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't waste this time of your life. Take advantage of it. I've never heard anyone say, I regret being discipled not heard it so a lot of application to be drawn from just a little context right we've been in one verse and we can already see the application to be drawn just from knowing the fact that Paul and Timothy wrote that but that's not the only context that we see it's not just that Paul and Timothy were real people what we see in the second half of verse one is that uh, they wrote to real saints right that, that what I mean by that is like the the Philippians they were also real people. The people that received this letter existed and lived and breathed. What I mean is that this letter isn't written just to this general population and was delivered to the town square and some herald opened up a letter and said, hear ye, hear ye, and just started reading the decree aloud. That's not how this worked. This was sent by relationship, through relationship, to a church of people that knew who Paul was and Timothy and was willing to receive and personally read and know that this was Paul pouring into them. Let me show you what I mean. You can turn to Acts 16 with me. Acts 16. Be a little bit earlier on in your Bible. Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Acts. Acts 16. Go to verse 11 with me. I'm going to show you how we knew that the Philippians were real people. 
Acts 16, 11, we have Paul here. He's traveling at this point with Luke, who's the author of Acts. So he's traveling with Luke. And in verse 11, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to, oh yeah, I forgot to look, Samothrace, and the following day to, to Neapolis. And from there to where? Philippi. Which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. That's like fancy clothing type things. Who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Look at that line. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Guys, if you have a prayer, Lord, open my heart to pay attention to your word. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. What we learn here is that Lydia was the key to Paul and Luke beginning a church in Philippi. What we see here is that the, the people that Paul is writing to in Philippians are there because Paul's already been there. Paul was there. He met a woman. He led her to Christ. He planted a church. And now this is their spiritual father writing back to them answering problems that they have, answering questions that they have. We learn in Philippians that, that, that the people, they were real and they had real issues. Like they struggled with trust. They struggled with joy. They were people who needed to be encouraged. They were people who needed to be encouraged to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. They were people who needed to be reminded to have humility. And there were people who had concerns and fears because Paul was in prison when he wrote this. They were worried about him. They were concerned what was going to happen to him. Maybe you can relate to some of these struggles. Maybe you struggle with joy. Maybe you struggle with trust. Maybe you struggle with encouragement. Maybe you struggle with humility. Maybe you struggle to just live a life that's worthy of the manner of the gospel. Maybe you fear harm. Maybe you fear failure. If that's you, that's your point of application from this real point of context. The context is that they wrote to real saints, but because this book was written to real saints with real problems, that means it was written to us with the same real problems. Because it was written to saints who had struggles, it's written to all saints who have these struggles. Because it was written to those who would claim Christ, it's written to all those that claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. So Paul and Timothy, they were real people, but they were writing to real saints who had real struggles. I want to encourage you, read the book of Philippians over the next several weeks. If you're the capacity, you can read it once a day, great. If it's like a chapter a day, great. If it's like two sentences a day, great. Read Philippians. 
And as you do, put yourself in the place of the Philippians who are struggling with these things and try to receive it as they would have. Try to receive it from someone who has wise words, someone who's speaking on behalf of God and is speaking to the things that they are struggling with and need to hear. And let it speak to your life that way. So Paul and Timothy were real people. They wrote to real saints. And last and very quickly, they had a sincere prayer. Look at verse 2 with me again. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, almost every single letter of the Apostle Paul starts with this greeting. If you want to go through all of them, you can see that almost every single one of them starts with Paul saying, grace to you and peace. It doesn't matter if it's like Philippians or Thessalonians where like he loves the people or if it's Galatians. He says grace and peace to you and then like three sentences later calls them idiots, right? Like Paul uses this as a common courtesy greeting. And if we're not careful, we're just going to write it off like that, right? We're going to write it off that this is just a common courtesy, that it's useless words that you use. Same way, you guys know what I'm talking about when you're walking down the road, you say, how's it going? How many of you have said, how's it going, and have zero intention to find out how, it, how it's actually going, right? That is an American response for us to just say hi to someone. It'd be so easy for us to chalk it up as a common greeting like that. Grace to you and peace. Now let's get to the real stuff. But that's not how we should view it because this isn't just the words of Paul and Timothy. This is the inspired word of God. And God doesn't say useless things. God doesn't use useless words. God just doesn't blow hot air. What God speaks he means. What he speaks has power. And God has never done anything without a purpose. God has a purpose in what he does. The ultimate purpose. Because of who he is. And so when we see that grace and peace is being blessed over the Philippians, we should not let that be wasted. And we should know that these are the sincere words of Paul and Timothy. And we can know that because as we read Philippians together, we're going to see that the exact thing that Paul and Timothy were trying to give to the Philippians was grace and peace. He wanted them to grow in grace. He wanted them to grow in the understanding of the things of grace. He wanted them to grow in grace towards one another. And he wanted them to have peace. He wanted them to have peace about the fact that he was in prison. And he wanted them to be in unity and have peace as a church and seek the God who gave them perfect peace. We know that they meant it because they actually wrote a letter based on giving them grace and peace. So that's the context of Philippians. Paul and Timothy wrote it. They wrote it to people that they were in relationship with, people that were worried about the things that we just talked about. And they had a sincere prayer for these people. And it's that grace and peace would be extended to them through the answering of whatever is about to happen in this letter. And I think the appropriate response for us, I want to have application on all this, is as we start our time in Philippians over the next several weeks, to pray for grace and peace together. So why don't we take a few minutes. Let's pray for that. Lord.
Thank you for your word in Philippians. Thank you for all that you've revealed to us in it so far. Two verses in, Lord, and you've shown us so much. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace and peace. Just as Paul and Timothy are praying over the Philippians and extending it to them, Lord, would you give us grace, like the grace of extending to one another, but would you give us a deeper understanding of grace, growing in the things of grace, Lord. To understand what it means that we've received it from you and that we are to give it to others. Lord, would you help us to treasure the daily graces that we are given. Even the daily grace to be able to open up your word when so many people do not have that option, Lord. Lord, grow us in our desire for your grace in our lives. And Lord, bring us peace. A lot's going to happen this semester, Father. We know that there are finals. We know that there are boards to be had. We know that there are ups and downs. There are relationships that are going to start. There are ones that are going to break. There are things that are going to occur in our friends group that are going to cause strife. There are things that are going to happen in our family, whether relationally, medically, whatever it may be, Lord. We know that there are things that are going to come our way this semester. And I pray that you as the God of peace would give us peace, Lord, and that you wouldn't just give us peace as a way of self-soothing us, that you would give us peace through your word. And that as we read your word, we would find peace and we would see the God of peace. Lord, bless our time in Philippians. May it be a fantastic time together. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.